Welcome back to the Turn Row Podcast, everybody. I am your host, Ethan. Uh, with me, as usual, I have Kevin Hecht. How's it going, everybody? And Colt, our producer, working the ones and twos, as he always does. And today we have a special guest, uh, Corey Carpenter. So, Corey, greet the people. Hello, everybody. So, um, so Corey's going to talk a little bit about vegetable production uh, to us, but I'll give a brief bio on Corey. So Corey works with me in South Texas. Uh, he is a, another proud graduate of Texas A&M. And he, uh, <laughs> so sorry. I he, yeah. No, you know, if, if, if Gibson was on here, you know, we, we probably wouldn't take very kindly to so that stolen valor that you just did. There, so. But so, so anyway, um, so Corey, he's worked with us since 2014 uh, in South Texas with a multitude of crops. Um, but he's kind of our vegetable specialist. So that's why we're going to have him on and talk about a little bit about vegetable production and how it differs from your typical row crop production that the majority of our uh, agronomists work with. So, but before then, Corey, we're going to do a little segment to break the ice. You got a treat, huh? Get the juices flowing. We do. I hope you're ready. I don't I'm never ready. I call it a treat. Thing that Ethan yeah. does. So, uh, yes, um, that's very true. That uh, So for the listeners, Corey is one of the privileged folks to have me as their supervisor so you know he's used to my antics and off the wall um things that come up and we do so uh anyway without further ado let's get into our icebreaker routine here so Corey, if you were a bird and could fly anywhere in the world where would you go fly anywhere i want to go yeah i mean as a human, I do want to fly to Australia, but I feel like as a bird, I'd have a much better be chance a, of dying. Be a long ways as a bird to fly to Australia. <laughs> well, <I> mean, <laughs> well, you know, better, you could, better, you you could do some, some. Yeah, you could do some island hopping and go through the Philippines and New the Zealand. The wind currents and, better be in your favor, buddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I'd uh, make a very big bird and that bird ain't going to fly very far. <laughs> All right, you, you could be any bird you want. If you wanted to be a, a hummingbird, you know, you know, you know, it's whatever your heart desires. Uh, so Australia. So why would you want to go to Australia and be a bird? You know, there's lots of snakes there. So you better make well, sure you're a big enough bird that you eat the snakes and the snakes don't eat you. Or that, that would be the downside. I mean, but they say it's pretty dangerous for humans over there too. So, but I've always wanted to go to Australia. I don't know why. That's cool. I think that'd be a neat place to go, really. I, I, I would yeah. really like to go to see the agriculture. The agriculture over there is gigantic. So no doubt. That would be one no thing. So. Yeah. yeah, you know, and it, it's pretty similar to us, too, from a cotton perspective. Yeah. There's a lot of cotton production there. So I I, uh, I could see where you would that would be enjoyable. So, all right. So in your many years of stomping fields and, and checking crops give us your craziest story about when you came across wildlife unexpectedly in a field it wasn't in the field but i saw a six foot rattlesnake on the road six Luckily, footer huh? 
uh, 19 rabbits. He'd been around a while. That's that's a pretty big one. Yeah. um, Luckily for me, it was already dead and I ran it over to good measure. But uh, it was was a rather large one. And that's probably about the wildest thing I've got. Rattlesnake encounters. I don't have the hog encounter that you do, Ethan. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I have, ca- I have come across a few pigs and some cotton fields before. So, all right, to our final question before we get down to the nitty gritty of our podcast today, what is your favorite crop to consult on, or it, it, do you have a favorite crop, or are you just indifferent? It, it's either going to be cotton or pickles cucumbers for pickling <laughs> thank you for yeah clarifying. so so here's i'm gonna give this a disclaimer yeah Corey, give the people a disclaimer of why we call them pickles in south texas because they aren't just cucumbers it is a variety made specifically for pickling and the only people that my customer sells to are best made the lassic um cajun chef and hmm. such to make pickles. And so they are they are only grown for pickling. So that is why we call them pickles because you don't do anything else with them. And it, it, I mean, Corey, correct me if I'm wrong here, but these particular varieties that are grown have a tougher uh, outside layer to them that help uh, them have the mechanical I, I, harvesting I, process. So that's kind of why. Yeah, you wouldn't. I don't. You wouldn't want to bite into one. Tougher. They're not exactly. Um, no, actually, I, I eat them on the regular, um, walking field. So you probably have calluses on your tongue and gums. Does your dentist approve of this? Uh, I haven't been in six months, so and an update is due. <laughs> Maybe that's why, because you eat pickles that have thorns on them. <laughs> but but that that is what I was going to say is they are significantly more spiny. And so they have significantly more hair and thicker, tougher hairs on them. It sounds so when, when to you me pick it like up, it, it, it kind of hurts to grab it. But you're you're you're, you're describing a cactus. You're you're eating cactuses. It, in it, it, it's not it, it's not that spiny. Uh, it, it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't leave spines behind. <laughs> well, that's good. We're okay, not having to well, do like uh, like with cattle and uh, go burn the spines off so they can eat the cactus. We're not having to do that. <laughs> they say it's tasty i don't know I, I i've never had a prickly pear flavored anything that was cl- claimed to be tasty it was all all lies i've heard uh some of the native people around here can do some pretty good things with cactus though so, right. well from there Corey, why don't we let, give the floor to you and talk to us about vegetable crop production. What are some of the challenges that you face in vegetables that you don't have on uh, your your typical row crop? I guess start with that. What are some different challenges? Uh, uh, the probably really the biggest would be uh, your weed pressures. Um, okay. you, you typically don't you can't typically spray anything after it comes up, or you're spraying all pre-emergent herbicide. To control weeds before they come up and so so weed management is probably the biggest issue that 
you will see in vegetable versus row crop management. Uh, Corey, uh, just just to derail you a little bit, typically when you're, I guess, do you want to talk about maybe your crop rotation when it comes to, uh, you know, pickles? Like, um, like do you have corn in there? Is it cotton or, or what does that look like? Um, as far as rotation, um, it, it varies. Um, I've had a field in behind cotton. I've had a field in behind corn. I've had a field in behind wheat. I've had pickles on pickles in a year. Um, there isn't really a whole lot of rotation due to pickles. Okay. Um, it, it, I really honestly think it uh, comes down to a, the insurance because gotcha. with the insurance program, you have to have that field or that farm in the pickle insurance program. And you can only have so many years of absence of pickles before that program is not available on that farm or field. Oh, okay. Interesting. And so with the, the next thing that is significantly different would be the inputs and your, your price to grow the vegetables. And so you don't want to be going into something like that without insurance if they, if available anyway. For sure. For sure. So, so um, Corey, I know, uh, I guess maybe I, this is something I, will, I must add to a challenge that I face with vegetable production for that. It bleeds over into row crops. You're, you mentioned, this is a thought that came up when you're talking about weed pressure. Is it, if you have a guy who does vegetables and row crops, which is most everybody, mm -hmm. um, you know, that limits us with our herbicides uh, and row crops because I have to, have to leave things open, you know? Um, yeah. So, because, you know, certain chemistries have such, you know, a 15, 18 month plant back to a pickle or a cabbage or whatever, uh, you know, insert vegetable here, you know? Um, yeah. So what are some of the, uh, the, the the differences from an insect standpoint compared to row crops? Really, there's not. Um, actually, one of the major insects in uh, the cucumbers and the pickles is the uh, cucumber beetle, which is a corn root run beetle. So, but it, it, which it's, it, what is that the the southern corn root worm beetle, right? Yes, yes, southern southern corn root worm beetle that is, what does this and, what does this beetle do to a cucumber well just like with the corn um the the worms well there's two things so the beetles can actually vector a virus which is bacterial wilt and then the other is the worms the actual larvae that they can burrow into the the fruit and that fruit is now bad because you have a hole in so, so does, does this mean that you're a threat, you know, the, something that you've taught me with, uh, vegetables is it, you know, yield is one aspect, but you also need a quality product more so than maybe corn or soybeans that quality comes into. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. so does this mean with, you know, having to weigh quality and quantity, does this meet your thresholds for certain insects? 
uh, much one? less. Much less. Yes. Okay. Um, if with the Beatles, it's not so much one as two or three. Okay. But um, the there's another test: um, the cucumber moth. And if we see one of the moths in the field, we're spraying the field for moths. And I so believe cool. the moth is a uh, a virus, I, I believe. So, Corey, when we're talking about insects and burrowing into the cucumbers or um, some of the other vegetables, what is – well, maybe cucumbers in particular uh, – what is the threshold – for the buyer, you know, uh, when when they're looking at produce and inspecting it, uh, as far as quality and uh, accepting it, I believe it's about three to five percent. Okay. And I, I get that number from actually sweet corn, not okay. so much the cucumbers, but uh, yeah. sweet corn. If you have three uh, percent bad ears, they will reject the whole load. Okay. The whole okay. truck just goes to the, just gets dumped they, on the turn row. They will turn row, uh, fed to cows. Um, and that's actually what happens to a lot of the, the cucumbers that get spit out is also uh, cow feed. Okay. Um, what are, um, so, when you tell, you know, when we're uh, going, you know, trying to fix issues, pest issues, weed issues, whatever, within a, a you know, cotton or corn, we kind of know our budget, you know. Um, if we give a, you know, a grower the, a recommendation that's going to cost 15 bucks or 20, you know, um, you get much over 20 and you start getting some pushback. Is that something that you worry about with vegetables or you just take care of the problem? And uh, you more or less take care of the problem. Um, okay. Do you I mean, think that because growers that typically raise a vegetable crop with their mindset of fixing problems and uh, does that bleed over to their row crop experience and they're maybe a little more aggressive with treatments of uh, row crops because of that uh, mindset with vegetables? No, um, I, I really wouldn't say that. Uh, I, I, I don't see a lot of bleed over. Um, now I've got farmers that, well, there's an issue, go and take care of it. Yeah. But it's still a, well, I don't want to go spend $20 unless we need to. Yeah. Whereas with the vegetables, it's, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll spend thirty to fix this problem instead of. Well, I know one thing. What can, that, what can we do cheaper? Yeah, I ask you that because I know um, personally, deal, you know, with customers and, and applicators that have applied things on uh, on vegetables. The the amount of this is, this is a very small instance, but you know, when we're getting using carrier, you know, if we're gonna you know, fly an airplane, we're going to get six gallons of water or a ground rig, you know, 15 to 20. And, you know, um, I know that's not normal for, you know, no, our no, guys it, in Kansas. It, 
So, well, as far as carrier, um, that that's not as much of an issue for for guys that grow both. Yeah, they they seem to carry that mindset over, and I didn't know yeah. if others others came with that but, or that was just a unique thing. But not, yeah, not so much as on on what chemical we're going to spray or or what pesticide we're going to spray. But okay. as far as carrier, that that's usually not much of an issue. No. Okay. That does bleed over a little bit. Now, um, how long of a season are your your vegetables typically? Um, and you might you might lead with what when you're normally plant some of them. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah. Um, sweet corn. I've got some sweet corn that went in today, February seventh. That went in. They were planting last Saturday. So February second, if uh, that calendar in my mind worked right. Mm-hmm. But early February, um, shooting for the not Labor Day. What's the Memorial holiday? Memorial Day. Memorial Day. Memorial Day. Memorial Day. Sh- shooting to, to get the Memorial Day harvest done. Yeah. And so, so that stuff's going to be in the grocery store by Memorial Day. Is what you're saying? Hopefully, hopefully yeah. that, that that's what they're shooting for. Getting in this early with sweet corn. Okay. And and I think you've told me this before, but with sweet corn, we're some you know the, the sweet corn that's grown here in South Texas is some of the first sweet corn to hit the market for that particular yeah. time frame. Uh, if not the first, I would say top five to hit the market of the areas. So our our sweet corn is definitely some of the earliest. Um, uh, John, do you have any, any ideas from a, or any questions from a precision aspect to ask Corey, you know, the differences that you have with, uh, vegetables? Well, you know, our, from my mindset, it's always, you know, how can we manage things more precisely? But it sounds like whenever they, what he says like if there's a problem they're going to take care of it and i'm guessing from a fertility standpoint you're going to make sure that there's nothing limiting is you're you're laying the coals to it and there's not much going to be missed um they're putting tons of micro packages out more than enough uh nitrogen phosphorus and potassium it's it's not very uncommon to double up even on some of the row crop stuff i would say yeah so in like in years when you are rotating to a a normal row crop you know a a corn cotton Mm -hmm. something else um like do you typically have enough carryover that you don't have to apply anything or like what have you seen in those those next years um, from a fertility standpoint? Uh, we're, we're nearly always putting something back. Uh, everything's pulling stuff out. So it's just how much. Yeah. Uh, again, coming from the row crop to vegetable, you're always going to manage a little bit easier. You're going to get what you want, but not excessive. 
with the row crop. And so rotating back to your, your typical crops, it's not going to be, you're not just laying it to it. You're, you're going to do what it needs and not a whole lot more. Right. So have you happened to look at that? Like, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's variability out there on, on your, um, vegetable production so you know in some areas you might be deficient in something and in other areas you might have plenty of carryover you know would there be an opportunity for some variable rate application in those those years you go back to a row crop i think a better way to say that john is even not year to year but say you have a peanut or a potato crop. Uh, potato crop gets harvested uh, in May. You know, the next week it's planted to peanuts. And, you know, with, with that gap there, um, could you variable apply to make a stop gap in that carryover? Is that, is that a better instance, you think, of what you're describing? Or are we talking yeah. two different things? Yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah. Um, okay. I mean, you're, for, you're asking coming behind vegetables. Is that what yes. you're getting at, John? Yeah. So, right. Yeah. Know. Coming in after vegetables. Okay. Well, and, and um, with the cucumbers, you're typically going to grow the best wheat or cotton you, you can grow behind cucumbers. Um, there's not a whole lot of a plant left once you harvest and so the the soil is not having to break down the the leftover um, and with the amount of fertilizer going out on the cucumbers you do have quite a bit of layover and so we can back off some but they're not going to back off a whole lot of their normal program um, variable rate wise you might could start throwing some stuff at that that way but that kind of gets into a timing issue as well. You've got to be, you got to get the cucumbers off and then we'd have to have time to, to do everything we needed to do to soil sample and make a rag on how to do that. But no, I haven't looked are at you, that. Are you, would you say you're, you're not typically soil sampling? You're kind of, you know, just putting out a, a base rate for the vegetables, they typically have a program that they run. And they I mean, like after out. the year after you're, you're coming out. Oh, the year after? No, we're, we're still sampling after. The program that farmers usually use for that next crop. Yeah. The only, I think the time that you, we probably don't do a full program on a, a, a row crop following a vegetable is when it's, you're double cropping because you may be planting that row crop uh, within four to seven days after that vegetable's out. And there's just no way to get a, you know, we can't get results back fast enough to make a program. But, but even when doing that, you're, you're using the program that we've soil sampled on other fields. Typically you're not going to yeah. break away from the program that you've already made for that upcoming crop. So, so, Gotcha. And a lot of times too, when it comes to, to, if you're planning this out, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of my vegetable experience comes on the back end on, 
how am I reacting to a vegetable uh, on my row crops? So, you know, I refer to like a potato peanut rotation. And a lot of times we'll put our P and K out um, with the potatoes fertilized. You know, we'll, we'll have extra up front before the, you know, with the potatoes for the peanuts to have. We know that's not going to get used. So. Um, but, you know, you know uh, with, with, with you guys, you briefly mentioned um, the limited uh, amount of, or the different herbicides that can be used. Is a lot of it hand, hand labor to get it clean, or does it start fresh and clean before you even uh, get started? Like, no. work, worked clean, or um, how does that a work? A lot of it is. Uh, a lot of it is uh, ho hokers that go in okay. and, and clean it up. Um, even with, with cabbage, you'll actually plant cabbage heavy with a much higher population than what you actually want. Mm -hmm. And they'll send a hoe crew in to lighten the population because cabbage is so difficult to get up and established. And okay. so they'll actually get more established and then come in and, and yeah, lighten send the, the population out. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So, uh, Corey, what would you say preseason? I guess that's, you know, from to answer Kevin's question, you know, start to finish, what is your preseason tillage like, in season tillage? Uh, like, you know, kind of chronologically, what do you, would you say is it's, typical for vegetables? It, it's going to be a, a full tillage, pretty much. Um, and then get, getting everything worked up, clean field. So you're talking at least a few trips with a disc, if not a mold bore and a disc. At, yes, I mean, at, yeah, at least. Okay. Um, so you, then, you really have to start with a pristine seed bed, is what you're saying. No trash, very clean, even, preferably. soft. Um, yeah. I have seen sweet corn go in strip till. I have seen pickles go in strip till, but uh, very rare and very uncommon what just see. out of curiosity is there a benefit to strip tilling pickles i have not seen one okay i i know with with peanuts i know it's not a vegetable but you know we'll strip till that sometimes and the the amount of wheat residue can sometimes be a problem when you go to harvest the peanuts so i didn't know if maybe from a harvest standpoint if you saw that in pickles I haven't seen a harvest issue or even a, a fruit set issue. Um, so I, I really haven't seen much difference in, in the cucumbers for strip till or no, or full tillage. Yeah. And um, so in season, is your tillage going to be uh, like a cultivator? I know you mentioned that it could be a, a, a hoe crew that goes through. Uh, um, Typically, uh, sweet corn and cucumbers, both, uh, you, you have one shot, basically, to get one last uh, cultivation through the cucumbers. Um, and then uh, with the sweet corn, you have to get in before it gets too tall, which sweet corn is all on a short end anyway compared to grain corn, but you still can't get in with a, a cultivator halfway through the season, so... Okay. Uh, typical cultivation, 
if it gets real bad after that, they will send a whole crew in. Um, we actually sent a, a whole crew in a pickle field this past year. Oh, before harvest. And was that Which more for harvest than for a yield limiting both. factor? Both, both. Because as far as pickles go in a week, one week you go and look at it and you're just starting to set fruit. You come back and if you've got good weather, good sun, uh, that next week you could be harvesting. So really, wow, yeah, a li- wow. little bit of both. Hmm. Okay. Now with the pickles, do they just harvest once or do they harvest multiple times? Okay. Um, the machine they use is a behemoth of a machine. Okay. Um, and they go through and pick everything. It's got a conveyor belt that will sort um, to an extent. Anything that's oversized gets spit out the back, and the rest goes into uh, the the bucket and mm-hmm. gets taken to the shed and then sorted from there um, to anything that's undersized or you know, bad or broken or. You know, outside of uh, just pickles, Corey, most generally with a lot of your vegetable crops, is it hand labor as far as harvesting also? It depends on what crop. Uh, You've got headers for sweet corn, green beans, um, spinach, cucumbers. What else, Ethan, is there? Uh, potatoes are mechanically harvested. Um, and your sweet corn, yeah, carrots. Uh, sweet corn can actually go either direction. Either way. You know, yeah, because certain varieties have a thinner epicarp on the kernel, so they have to be uh, hand harvested. Some, you know, some of the particular varieties are suitable for mechanical harvest. Um, but your onions, melons, um, cabbage, um, cilantro, lettuce, lettuce, those are all going to, those are so 100% hand harvested down here. Interesting. Hmm. So there's actually uh, more than I would have thought they're uh, machine harvested. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's really quite a bit. And a lot of those, they use the same machine, just a different header. Yeah. 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 Like so, a, there's a, what is what who makes it? Oxbow, I believe, that makes the um, the one for green beans of, and sweet corn. Yeah, I don't know who makes the header, but uh, yeah, but those are uh, and you know spinach. It's very similar to hay. You know, spinach you're going to cut multiple times a year, and it'll mm-hmm. regrow. So, uh, which is kind of unique. The difference between spinach and baby spinach is the days that, uh, before you cut it. So, you know, it truly is. Yeah. There's not much special there. So, um, but, uh, I'm trying to think what else you know, from a harvest standpoint, I guess that's about it. That's grown here. Um, I guess you're, you're like your broccoli and, and cauliflower that are here. Some they're all still hand harvested. Yeah. So. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. Most generally, right now. most generally with your 
vegetable crops, um, what kind of soils are they planted in? You know, obviously I would assume cucumbers might be a little more sandy than, like, you know, like that kind of soil type, but is there a, a soil that works best in your area? No, not particularly. And actually uh, all, all the pickles that we grow are on a darker, heavier soil. Okay. Okay. Um, because everything's on top of the soil, you're not getting into the soil yeah. with the mm-hmm. fruit. And so the, the soil doesn't pertain to that, but I've got a farm that basically all he grows is vegetables and he's on all sand. Okay. And yeah. so it, it really, um, it, it really doesn't seem to bother it one way or the other, as far as the vegetables yeah. grow. The only two things that I would say are solely on sandy soils are melons and potatoes. You know, potatoes, obviously, because they're grown underground and they have to be brought through the soil. And it's easier to, to get that out through sand. And you'd be surprised with some of the heavier, heavier uh, fields that they grow well in heavy soils, just a bit more difficult to harvest them. Uh, mm-hmm. Melons are... The drainage purpose you have this behemoth of a fruit sitting on top of the soil surface you know and you don't want moisture you know there's already so much water in that fruit you don't want water around the outside too so but like outside of that you know core is exactly right it's all grown on a variety of soils yeah. hey Corey I've seen uh, where some guys in around like Plainview they're kind of on the southern uh, edge of the panhandle are uh-huh. growing uh, pickles have have any of your growers or do they you know have guys that they work with or you know provide insights like up in the northern it, panhandle area uh not to my knowledge um i don't know any of, uh, any of that but one of the guys that my grower is actually really good friends with grows pickles in Georgia. And so they, he talks to the guys in Georgia quite a bit more than anybody else in Texas, I think. But as far as anybody else in the company, I, I don't know of anyone else looking yet. cucumbers. Yeah. Well, I just meant, uh, I don't think any of our agronomists do, but I, I know, um, some people that that are growing on there around Plainview area and stuff. So I was just curious if if they talked with your growers or other growers in in South Texas. I I haven't heard of anybody um, talking back and forth as far as cucumbers go. The guys in the Panhandle, um, but it's it's a little bit different setup for me because. I'm actually contracted with the pickle contractor, I guess, and he contracts other farmers to grow for him. Oh, okay. So the, the so it's kind of the guy that Corey works for is a bit of the uh, he's the one who actually harvests everything, takes everything to market. You know, he owns the packing shed, so it's a yes. That's a unique little yeah. That's another difference that we haven't talked about. You know of how. You know, that's part of the service that the packing shed 
you know, do, you know, gives its growers is CropQuest. You know, it, it uses, mm -hmm. they use us to, you know, uh, provide a, 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 a well, service and, to the and growers. That, so. And it, it really goes back to the, uh, the quality issue we were talking about earlier is the, the packing shed wants the best quality possible. And so they're going to hire somebody to take care of it other than the farmer just going and doing it. And so we, that, the, the packing shed has a set of eyes on it as well as the farm. And so it, it gives the, the packing shed a little bit more insight as to what's going on in season. Is most of this stuff, um, I guess I'm going to call it forward contracted before it's even planted? Or um, is it just marketed after, after harvest? Just going for specific markets like we were talking before. Okay, I'm shooting for Memorial Day you know to to put out um well um, yes um it, it is set for so my grower um only harvests or only plants and harvests before and after the summer because okay. that is when the uh, new england and other states that are big cucumber growing areas um i believe the Deep South and the New England states are are in that, but their growing season is in the summer for okay. us, and so he can't compete with that market because there's that much more being produced. And, and so down here he actually waits. Yeah, he, he waits for the off time for everybody else. Yeah. And so that's I, what, I, I would probably say too the markets. You know, during the spring and fall, where you see a lot more vegetables down here, you know that uh, another driver of that is our climate so harsh in the summer. Yeah, you know, so uh -huh. Uh -huh. our yeah. spring and fall are like the summer in your New England states, and well, when you're talking more potatoes and some of your peas and stuff like that that are grown around the Great Lakes, you know. Yeah, you know, our summers this will maybe a little too harsh for those vegetables to produce. So even with the the sweet corn, they stopped planting sweet corn late mid to late June. That gap until late August, really. They and, plant another and crop. They'll stop. Yeah, before they start planting sweet corn again. So let so the major heat get done. Most of your high-end vegetable produce you would be more shifted to this fall then towards the later part of the growing season would you say or yes it... yes uh fall and then even late winter okay um, yeah yeah we yeah. should so, have a another cabbage set going in here pretty quick to okay. come off before the summer uh -huh. and they just got one cabbage off um this midwinter okay so, so, you know how, you know, different geographies have different, uh, I guess, nicknames. And this area of Texas is nicknamed the Winter Garden because so many, you know, uh, so many of the vegetables that we grow through the winter that other people grow in the summer. Interesting. So, okay. And that's to sustain the market. That's, well, yeah. you know, it's why you can go to the grocery store in Kansas in December and get a tomato. Yeah. You know, yeah. because they, you know, the powers that be with grocery companies put 
you know, vegetables in place in southern areas like us to keep those shelves stocked, you know. So another wrinkle that I, I, I don't know how to ask you this, Corey, so I'm just, I guess, going to bring it up is pollinators is, you know, a lot of these vegetables that Corey deals with, they have, you know, beehives they bring in to pollinate them. Um, uh-huh. so, yep. so another interesting wrinkle of our market is there's a lot of honey that's produced in this area of Texas that's taken to market because of all the beehives that help pollinate the vegetables. So, yep, exactly. And yeah. So, so when you say pollinators, so people, there, there's, um, people that produce honey or have hives that are brought in specifically for this, then that they, they, they will contract with, the produce growers to bring the hives out and set them out and let them pollinate for however long um usually two to three weeks now is this down to a science so that if you know that you have 160 acres of let's say cucumbers or something that they know exactly how many bees to bring or how does that work I don't know if they. I know all four quarters of the field have beehives on them. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Okay. You you always have it. Um, This this past fall, when it was so wet, and you couldn't get the bees all the way around it, we had them on a trailer, a bumper pull trailer, and they just got as close as they could to the field. Okay. But um, there is a yield difference with the amount of bees, though. You know, stuff yeah. like cucumbers, the the flower is incredibly inefficient to yeah. just allow the elements to pollinate it. So it makes a heck of a difference to have, you know, your pollinators working for you. Well, I, I know it's a tough question, Corey. I just was curious, um, you know, as you're dealing with a live insect and expecting it to do something, you, you guys know as well as I do, it doesn't always happen that way. So, yeah. <laughs> well, well, it doesn't, but typically if you if you get them that close to a a freshly flowering plant they're going to go to it oh for sure for sure yeah yeah so Uh, so, the trick is is how not to kill them when you're trying to kill your other critters no doubt well and beyond that the the funny fun thing about it is you only move the bees at night and so the guy that i work with is contract that i'm contracted with he's out there moving these bees at midnight to get them in place because that is when the bees come to the hive and come home. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, in turn, they're not in the field. They're go home at night. So that's a safer time of day to, to start putting stuff out. That's when you know, you're going to get the majority of your bees back and back to the hive. And as far as pests go, the safest time to spray is in the early morning or late evening. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. You know, this is, this really has nothing. Well, this is an interesting conversation I had with a, a grower of mine, but in the state of Texas, if you steal a beehive, it's, you know, again, it, it's, you know, it's livestock now. Bees are considered livestock in the state of Texas. So <laughs> it's like you stole your neighbor's bull or something. You know what I mean? You can be wow. prosecuted for stealing a beehive. Just as like, wow. the, yeah, 
So instead of cattle rustling, are you, I guess, bee rustling then? So, yeah. If you're brave enough to go steal a bee yeah, hive, no, I'll no. let you do it. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't. So is, is uh, kicking the hornet's nest, is that? Uh, <laughs> you know, I, that would be a <laughs> But, um, so, I, Corey, I, I appreciate you coming on talking about vegetables. Is there anything else that you wanted to touch base with us on with vegetables that we haven't got to or um, any interesting, entertaining tidbits or whatnot? No, I, uh, I think that really covers a pretty good chunk of it. Um, well, I got one quick question. Um, I think the one thing we didn't really touch on here Typically, are are you using commercial fungicides when you're talking about um, disease management, or um, are you using more like copper and stuff like that, or all the above? With what I'm working with, typically, um, it's usually commercial. Okay. Okay. Um, I think Ethan has a little more experience with some some copper use in the potatoes. I think. Yeah, we've done, you know, I think honestly the copper usually comes in um, when you have an injury. So like a hailstorm or something like that, they'll add mm -hmm. a, a, maybe a copper application. Um, but copper doesn't have extremely, uh, and a very long residual, like some of the new synthetic mm -hmm. thing. It doesn't move. I mean, it's just an element, you know, I mean, it's yeah. extremely old technologies. I mean, you could say copper is the original pesticide. You know, from uh, you know, you know, uh, you know, three, four hundred years ago. So, um, you know, the obviously the synthetics work much better, um, and sometimes that'll change with contracts. You know, there are non-GMO uh, contracts for sweet corn and other things. Uh huh. Um, Absolutely. So that that are, you know, and that, that's something else we have to deal with is um, the amount of spraying that you do with certain one, uh, uh, vegetables because it's a non-GMO, you know, you kind of, you want a GMO and spray a third of the amount of time, you know, uh, we won't go into nitty gritty specifics and get political in it, but you know, GMOs definitely do cut your spraying down. And then it, like, you know, potatoes, there's not a non-GMO or there's not a GMO potato that's commercially grown. So there's a lot of stuff that they just doesn't exist. So you are mm -hmm. using old practices so. or traditional practices, I guess would be a better term. Well, guys, I mean, I guess that about wraps it up. If Kevin and you and you and Corey don't have anything else to add. Nope. Thank you, Corey, for uh, coming on and um, appreciate you oh, visiting with us about vegetables. So for well, sure. Thank you all for inviting me. Yeah, it was good. It was good talk. We'll definitely need to have you on again and maybe get you to talk about some other aspects of South Texas and uh, some of your trials and tribulations. So, uh, Colt, do you can you give all the listeners our socials where people can find us, view us, talk to us, scream at us, whatever they'd like to do? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so if you guys want to get in contact with us um, directly, through our media, uh, you can email us at media.cropquest or media at cropquest.com. Um, we also have Twitter. Um, it's at CropQuest Inc. And Facebook is also, you can search us under CropQuest Inc. You'll be able to throw us questions or uh, 
see what's happening within our company. We, we would love to have some fewer feedback and possibly have a question and answer episode with stuff that uh, listeners bring to us. So uh, with that, for Kevin, Colt, Corey, John, and I am Ethan. Thank you once again for listening to the Turner Podcast, and we'll see you next time.